Well, I really enjoy forgetting. When I first come to a place, I notice all the little details. I notice the way the sky looks, the color of white paper, the way people walk, doorknobs, everything. Then I get used to the place and I don't notice those things anymore. So only by forgetting can I see the place again as it really is. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents Pictures Pow Wow. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm the other, Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm going very, very well, actually. I'm really excited to talk about uh, the movie we're covering in this episode of Pictures Pow Wow. What's Pictures Pow Wow? Well, it's a show in which uh, we talk about a movie that has come recommended, whether it's from you, me, or the listening people's choice. Mm-hmm. Actually, listening people's choice is next episode. So, Ooh, And me Ooh. was last and you was last, and me is now. Wow. And um, we are spin Polish, likingly, because we're always spinning. And if you listen to both of our names, uh, we're both Polish. Yes, but if you look at the YouTube transcripts, they call me birthday. What? Oh, right, right, right. They're like if Ryan Sywinski and birthday. If you look at, if you look at our YouTube comments on our YouTube channel for a Drop Dead Fred episode, a Polish girl, I believe, just said... Two strange Polish boys, but spelt like I-Z. Uh, but funny. <laughs> so there you go. And then there's an Indonesian comment saying Anjing, which is apparently dog or something. Well, it's because we were doing Dog Month that episode. Jeez, Vartek. So I, I think Bartek, it was Cody Banks, but all right. Uh, what, you're saying, you're, saying Frankie, you're saying Frankie Muniz ain't like a puppy to look at? Well, Frankie, no. get in contact with us, buddy. We'd love to have you on the show. Well, that's Shaggy Dog, man. Yeah, exactly. So, Bartek... We're doing Pictures Power. It was my recommendation mm-hmm. this episode. Um, I chose a movie again that I'm pretty sure you hadn't seen. No, I haven't. And I'm pretty sure no one's seen. <laughs> well, it's kind of more popular. It's been more popular in the last like decade. I would say it's kind of picked up a bit. But mm. we did the 1986 film True Stories, directed and written by and made by and starring David Byrne, the singer from The Talking Heads. That's true. So we did True Stories. If you have not had the chance to see True Stories for yourself, listening people, I would recommend stopping now, going to check out True Stories. It's a, it's a pretty short movie. I mean, it's a bit hard to find a physical copy of, and I don't know what the streaming stuff is like, but uh, I would still recommend trying to hunt down a copy of this. It's an interesting little movie. We're going to be talking about this in depth, so if you haven't had the chance, do check it out. Come back, listen to what we have to say about it, and um, yeah, it's a... It's a celebration of specialness. Yes, and then at the very end, we're going to tell you whether we recommend it or not. Yeah, if both of us recommend and it then... or not. Maybe maybe you loved it more than I did. Oh, maybe. And maybe I picked a movie <laughs> that I hate and mm. uh, you love. Or maybe the other way around. Who knows? Who knows? We'll find out. So, to give a quick synopsis of true stories, just to get that out of the way, I think mm-hmm. that's how we go. The film explains itself in a piece of text at the very beginning that there's no real better way to describe it, which is this is a film about a bunch of people from Virgil, Texas. That's the movie. That's literally the movie. It's about a bunch of people from a fictional town in Texas. It's a bunch of vignettes strung together with a over uh, overarching narrative plot device framing work of a uh, of a town celebration of the anniversary of coming together, the state celebration, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it all leads to a talent show. 
and it's all the different characters interacting with one another or not interacting with one another leading up to this talent show. That's the movie. Pretty much, yep. It's a musical, kinda, but it's, not really. The genre on various places says comedy musical, yeah. But it isn't yeah. what you would call a traditional musical. Like, the best way... Uh, David Byrne has actually spoken about this movie now. Like, usually he's the kind of guy that, like, he doesn't look back, which he says in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, like, he wanted to make a musical that wasn't your traditional musical, where, like, musicals, the songs progress the story a lot of the time, or do something rather... In this, he wanted the songs to just be more... Uh, uh, an in-depth look of what character is singing it. So that obviously applies with a lot of the characters that yeah, do I have see that. songs that they sing. And then some of them are just talking head songs put into the movie. Like, we'll, we'll get into all that aspect. But Bartek, you had not seen this movie before. No, I haven't. And I literally told you nothing about it other than what year it came out and who it was made by. Yeah, and you mentioned Talking Heads. And John Goodman. And John Goodman, that's true, yes. Um, so you went into this fairly blind. I don't know if you looked up stuff about it before you went in. No, I didn't. So tell me what you thought and what you were thinking going into it. I have very mixed feelings. Ooh. Yeah. About what you felt going in? <laughs> no, 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 about the whole thing. Because I, I feel like, because I, I watch a lot of films walking in completely blind. Yep. This was one where I kind of wished I did look up a little bit more. Really? Yeah, because one of the trivia points that I read was that um, David Byrne uh, was inspired by a bunch of news clippings. Yeah, like from those trashy magazines. Yeah, that that claim that they're true stories about these people. And that he kind of wanted to adapt those kind of stories into a film. That's kind of a part of it, yeah. Yeah, and when I was watching the film, I... I was thinking about Fido a lot, actually, a film that we did on the Mystery Box, because that film began with, you know, this, A like, narration. A narration, this, this like, uh, history video that they were watch- showing children yep. in a classroom that was, like, pretty much explaining the setting, the plot, and, like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, this is going to be the framework for which the and, rest of the film's going to follow through And on. this movie did that, too. This movie did that, too, yes, but I thought that eventually that was going to end and there was going to be a plot of some sort. <laughs> there is! There is, yes, I know, but but as you said, the film is more so just looking at people from a town. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that kind of threw me off. Okay. And I felt a bit silly about myself, so I, I it's mixed feelings, but also it's kind of on me. Yeah, well, look, I wouldn't say that you needed to look up that aspect of the movie, because I think the movie itself, once you start getting into it, you get this idea of, oh, okay, these are, like, what people are like, you know? Like, not just in this world, but in the real world. Like, there's always those compulsive liars. There's always the the lovelorn fools that don't know what true love is. You know, there's always... Like, you know, those rich people that are so rich, like, you mm. joke that they would, oh, get out of bed, they yeah, have it, it robot was very, butlers. It was yeah. very obvious that something was being sat, uh, satirized here, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or celebrated, at least, as well. Because that's the yeah. kind of thing, like, when you say satirized, there's always, like, it's a takedown or something, but this movie feels mm. like a celebration yeah. of specialness. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the caveat that I'd say is, like, a contentedness. Like, yeah, yeah, there's satirization going on here for humanity, but also... They're very content with their lives, and that's mm. okay. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that you, like... I think the movie, for me, does a good job of just kind of ingratiating you into this. It's one of those movies that, uh, uh, I when I rewatch this, I rewatch this with a friend of ours, Grayson, 
mm-hmm. uh, who's a big Talking Heads fan but hadn't seen this movie. Right. Uh, and he, he said to me, like, if he watched it by himself, he would have to stop every 10 minutes to look look stuff up about it because it's like, what is this? Like, am I supposed to understand this? Like, that's mm-hmm. weird. What does that mean? Right. Like, and I think that's an apt way to describe it, but I think that means the movie's kind of engaging you in a certain way that a lot of movies don't, whether it be positive or negatively. There's a lot of negative press for this movie as well as positive. Mm-hmm. Hence, it's a kind of forgotten gem. Uh, you know, it's you can say unappreciated masterpiece, right? Unappreciated masterpiece. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this movie is made by a first-time filmmaker. An only time filmmaker of a feature film. He's done music videos and stuff. But And uh, David Byrne is the singer of The Talking Heads. Uh, yeah, David Byrne is the singer of The Talking Heads. And you don't think of musicians transitioning into filmmaking as easily. You might be like acting, yeah. And that's even still a barrier for musicians of this time. Like David Bowie had those struggles of being a legitimate actor in the eyes of people like people love him in labyrinth and all that but he didn't really get to do much movies as much as one would think he could have mm. because of you know there was that a connotation he's a, he's a rock star he's a musician and same with david byrne and making a movie who he is in this as well and he's wonderful but bartek so you went in pretty blind you have mixed feelings about having gone in blind but what mm. about the movie itself what did you think about the movie as a whole picture, having seen it from start to finish to the end? It's one that I definitely want to watch again. I feel like I need to give it a bit more of a fair chance now that I now that I really get what it's about. I, I guess it is kind of foolish. Like it, it's very much showing what it is on its sleeve, and I'm there <laughs> sitting like, okay, but well, what are you hiding from me? <laughs> <laughs> You're expecting to, the shoe to drop at some point, right? You're expecting, like, the plot to kick in, or you expecting, like, oh, this is what it's about, like, something like that? More so the former, yeah, like, there's some sort of thing is going on. Like, eventually when, because very early on when the narrator, David Burns, talking, he goes to that computer factory. Yeah, Vericor. Yeah, Vericor, and I was thinking, like, okay, so this is, like, where the, the plot's going to start it kind of does it kind of does you mean john goodman yeah yeah. the main character of the movie slightly essentially yes (laughs) um well yeah you get the so this movie is interesting because it's like we just said a moment ago it's a musical but it's not Mm -hmm. it's uh musical sequences it's a documentary but it's not like, it's a mockumentary, documentary-style thing, but it's not. Yeah, not really. <laughs> but it is. It, it, yeah. But it isn't. It's not typical. Uh, um, it's a movie, but it's not. Like, it's like a series of vignettes. It's long enough to be a movie. It's a long <laughs> enough to be a movie, but, like, it's not what you would call a traditional three-act structured movie. Mm. That the general masses would go see and be like, hurrah! Well, it hangs out with Kentucky Fried Movie. Yes, which Roger Ebert compared this to, I believe, at one point. Oh, I read his review. He didn't... In I think I read it... With something else, actually. But um, uh, this movie is odd, and I was so keen on what you thought about it because mm. I watched it, and I was like, I think Bartek's going to be lost. <laughs> and I don't know if you would like it or not because because uh, it's odd, and there's no context for it. I had no context for it when I first saw it either. So I heard about this movie in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Talking Heads fan. Heard about it. Didn't know much about it. It was like, it's a true story. It's talking heads movie which i didn't know if it meant it was an actual movie or a filmed uh, a recorded version of like uh, a performance because the talking heads have a 
the the filmed version of their show and it's called Stop Making Sense and that's like one of the most iconic well-loved uh filmed versions of a live show ever and is directed by Jonathan Demme who did Science of the Lambs and stuff like that so mm-hmm. big film director or, or who who gets a thanks in this movie as well like he helped him kind of figure out how to do filmmaking and stuff uh so I thought oh this is going to be one of those and then I didn't see it until like sometime in university got my hands on a copy of it somehow and I watched it and I was like oh okay it's a movie and it's a comedy movie and David Burns oh, just being himself like a weirdo and he put himself <laughs> into this like small rural environment and then I was like oh then over the years I've watched it again and again and I've picked up on these nuances and then eventually just last year got released on the Criterion Criterion uh, list of movies and I bought it on DVD and it has like documentary and it has all these stuff and it gives you more context on things. That's cool. But even without those things, I still kind of picked up on these vibes when you watch this movie, even the first time and several times. Like, it's a satirization on certain things. Yes, consumerism definitely is satirized in this, but it's also like it's praised. This film, the David Burns, the narrator, and he does exactly what a documentarian narrator should do. He's, he, he's objective. He's mm. trying to be as objective as possible. Like, when he's talking about, the tr- uh, at the very beginning, when he's like, it started with dinosaurs. I used to love dinosaurs. Either way, back to the, and then going from from the colonials, the, like the white settlers coming over and killing everyone, and then this thing happened. This guy worked at this place, and he invented this. And computers, computers. It feels like he's in awe of this, but at the same time, it's kind of scary what he's talking about, right? Like this mm. this evolution towards this stuff, and it's kind of like. He is both saying things that are like, isn't this interesting? But in both they, isn't this interesting in a good and bad way? What do you think of this, yeah, the when, audience? When he showed up on, on the stage with the curtains, it uh, gave me this impression of like, oh, it's it's like a, a school, stu- <laughs> school student like doing a presentation. Yeah, and yeah. It's like kind of wooden. <laughs> and I love, that is one of my favorite visual things. When he steps through the the projection, through the <laughs> through the sheet, and he's in the movie now. Like, he goes through that, and then he's in the town, driving that car, yeah. <laughs> which is not his, It's it's it, it, but it is pri- it's not a rental, but it is privately owned. <laughs> yes, random lines of dialogue that you go, what was that? But the thing I like about this is, not only is the character objective, it feels like David Byrne, the filmmaker, and the film seems pretty objective. Like, it never feels like the people in the town are being mocked by the filmmaker. In my eyes. Like, I don't think, like, he has contempt for these characters in any way. You're talking about David Byrne? The, the film? filmmaker. Yeah. Like, when you think of all these characters, it's so easy that, that, they, that the corporation Veracor could have been a villainous corporation or mm. something ominous. Or the rich woman in bed could have been seen as something purely to laugh and mock at. But you kind of like her. Mm. And she gets a happy ending. And and, and same with Spalding Gray's character, the... the um. Mr. Culver. Mr. Culver? Mr. Culver. Who was the scam? He was the uh, microprocessors. And, like, Linda, there's no such things as weekends anymore. Like, he's the guy who brought Veracor to the town. He's, like, the not the mayor guy. Spalding Gray, he was in, uh, he was in um, that Dolly Parton movie we did. And he was, like, the... the Straight talk. 
Straight Talk, he was the psychiatrist on the talk show that was like a normal psychiatrist. And I was like, man, they underutilized him. You should watch him in True Stories. He's crazy. <laughs> we get to him. But like, it's so easy that like he could have had so much contempt for how big businesses are coming into small towns and kind of ruining them. But in this, it's kind of like they're coming into towns, they're giving them jobs, they're reinvigor like they're reinvigorating the town's life force, but it also it's ruining the quirkiness of towns. And also the environment, like here's flat, beautiful land, and then there's like there's a house there. Isn't that weird? Hmm. Like when you think of it on a on a higher level, like isn't it weird that we have houses just in nature? Like it's so man-made and weird. But then you have stuff like, I like metal buildings. Like you have the whole soliloquy about how great metal buildings are, and it's like architects' dreams, and it's like the filmmaker and the narrator character. It's like this This is a, as objective a point of view as one can do while satirizing society. And that's what I think. I don't know about you. No, I can see that, yeah. So, Bartek, this is a movie about people. Did you have a favorite little character in this? Like, any characters that kind of stuck in your brain? These interesting people, whether they be big or small, that kind of just was like, yeah, I like that one. If we're talking about townspeople, because I, I did like David Byrne as the... <laughs> The, he's my favorite. He was great. Um, he's a character. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's and he's funny. I love the line where he wants to compare something to European cities, but he can't. Oh yeah, American cities and European cities. I uh, but I can't remember. <laughs> I have it written down somewhere, <laughs> and then the scene ends. Yeah, <laughs> I love that part. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's hard not to say John Goodman. Yeah, Louis Fine, the dancing bear. Um, the the. Yeah, there's just so many characters like I could say that I like. Like I like the 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 father that doesn't talk to his wife. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. The the Veracor guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's the guy who brought Veracor to the town. Right, right. He's my favorite townsperson. Like uh, that's Spalding Gray. He's one of my mm. favorite townsperson who doesn't speak to his wife directly. Nothing, nothing bad about it. They just don't speak to each other. Yeah, directly. That's just an objective thing that happens. There's no <laughs> implications behind it. And there's no motivation behind it either that we find out. We don't find out why. They just don't. Yeah. But so you like John Goodman, huh? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's John Goodman, so it's hard not to. Do you but... think it's because it's John Goodman, or do you think there's something about that particular character that spoke to you? Well, I get I, not so much that it spoke to me, but he he was very present throughout the film, mm. and he had a conflict that got resolved by the end so yeah there was a journey for him so you liked him because he was the main character avatar on a level you liked him because he had a progression his prominence was a big asset for my liking of him i suppose yeah fair enough um yeah. i like john goodman in this too he's amazing he's so goofy but he's so sweet yeah the sweetness i love when we first meet him and he's just like in the back of the room, and he's like, "He's behind hey the there. window, right?" <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, yeah." He's behind a window, and the camera's far away, and he's just like, <laughs> "Hey there!" And you're like, "Who's this?" Oh, it's John Goodman, and he's just like talking to you, and then the camera slowly dollies in, and then it cuts randomly to the interior of the room is in, and he turns around and looks at the camera directly and starts talking to us. So it's like, "Wait, wait, what?" The documentary format's already broken, and what's going on? <laughs> Um, yeah, John Goodman, Lewis Fine, the dancing bear, which he's very proud of being. He's a man who cares very much about his own appearance, as David Byrne can very much see. I love that John Goodman's outfits are just 
the greatest thing ever. Like, each outfit he wears in this movie is brilliant. I love these outfit when he's uh, on that date with the cute woman. The one, that the one where he's got, like, the baby blue suit or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I love that outfit. <laughs> because he's trying to... Not only does he like wearing blue, but it's like he's trying to match her aesthetic. Because her aesthetic is nothing but blues and pinks. Mm. And it's like, he's wearing a pinkish shirt as well. It's like, is he so desperate for love that he's trying to adapt himself? He's trying to appeal to her? Appeal to her and adapt himself to her. But then that scene is probably, I think... One of the, other than the final scene with John Goodman, like the final esque scenes, like the the talent show scenes with John Goodman, that's probably my favorite scene with John Goodman's character, the date with the cute woman, because mm. it feels so genuine. Like like when she asks him like to sing, <laughs> and he hasn't got lyrics down yet. It's like there's like a day away from the talent yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. He he said he introduces the whole thing as like, yeah, I'm singing tomorrow. And yeah, then he doesn't know the it's lyrics. Like, People like us. I haven't wrote this part yet. Meow, 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 meow. But what makes it so good is um, when she asks him, like when she starts crying, she starts getting so emotional over the song, which we don't even hear the full lyrics of yet. And she's reacting like it's this really sad song, but we don't know it's sad. Yeah. We know it's more poignant once we get to the talent show. And that's so amazing. Like you get this combination. And once he sings at the talent show, wow. But we get, we will get to that. But like, uh, I love that scene of her. She's matching her furniture. Like when she stands up, you realize that's a dress she's wearing. It's the same as the cushions on the furniture and the couch itself. And you're like, why? Why not? Um, I love with that, though, when she asks him, like, do you really feel that sad? And he's like, I don't know. Like, haven't thought about it before. I guess I like sad songs. Make me want to lay on the floor. Huh. <laughs> Louis, Louis Fine, the dancer bear on the floor. And then he's, like, really sad. They're both really sad. And she's just like, I don't think I could handle that much sadness in my life. And he's just <laughs> like, well, thanks for this date. And he just leaves. I love that scene a lot because it kind of shows you that's the turning point for him to start taking things in a different direction. Because throughout the whole movie, he's escalating. He's wanting a wife. Because the whole thing with him is... He wants a wife. He's all about matrimony. He ain't no swinger. Yeah, he's he's unlucky with love. He's unlucky with love. He ain't no swinger. Did you find it weird that in 1986 he was computer dating? There's like a line where he's like, I've done that computer dating in 1986. That's insane. That is insane, yeah. <laughs> but that adds to... I don't know if you felt this, but did you think, like I did, that that this movie, even though it's from the 80s, it's so contemporary still, like with all the messages that are being talked about. It's so relevant today. Did you feel that? Yeah, yeah, totally. You can like even with the 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 TV ad where he was like <laughs> promoting himself. Like that's when the... he rolls like a lipstick. <laughs> yeah, like I, I guess these days it, it comes across a bit more like spam, but it's like you see it on the side of videos and like spam emails. Yeah, but then you go on like actual sites like that, and there's actual profiles of people promoting themselves. He's yeah. six foot three inches tall, maintains a constant, uh, consistent panda bear shape. Isn't that the best description of John Goodman you've ever heard in your life? <laughs> it's apt. It's apt. This was his y the youngest I've seen him, though. So. But he still <laughs> looks pretty much like he does in a lot of Coen Brothers movies still. Like, 
he didn't really look too different to me. Like I'm used to seeing him, you know, in a ton of varieties of ages. Like I'm more freaked out now when now he's so thin now. I'm a bit like, oh, that's weird. I'm I'm not used to you being so thin now, John Goodman. But uh, I love that crying woman, like the the cute woman scene, because it just feels like David Byrne, the musician, the director, actor, writer, someone must have asked him that at one point on a date or something like, hey, David, like your songs are awful sad. Do you feel that way? And David Byrne must have been like genuinely like, I don't think so. I don't know. I've never thought about it before. Jeez, I must be. It feels so genuine because that's when John Goodman well, right, turns it's around. It's a true story. It's a true story. That's when John Goodman turns around, though, right? When you say, like, when he has that date, he kind of is like, ah, I need to kind of take things more seriously because he's doing these ludicrous statements for love. Like, he's doing the computer dating. He's got the sign outside of his house. He's got the ad <laughs> with the great editing. <laughs> Constantly editing to different clips of him in different costumes and outfits. <laughs> it's amazing. And he's, like, got a phone number to phone him, but only serious candidates. Like, what was it? Like, 844-WIFE? Yeah. Like, that's the number. Um, but from when he gets that cute woman scene, it's like, oh, he's realizing, like, he's trying to appease people. Like, he's trying to impress them mm-hmm. instead of being himself. Like, when he's on the date with a lying woman, he just kind of is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't get a word in. And when he does, he's just appeasing her more. Like, yeah, keep going. He does that also in in my favorite scene of the film, which was the um the wild 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 life wild yeah. life yeah that sequence. I I really enjoyed that whole sequence. The, the karaoke bar that's a lip sync bar. Yeah, yeah, because you know all these people are coming on stage and it's like you're seeing an early glimpse of like all the characters and like yeah. I remember there was a point way later in the film during the festival itself where like the woman that was behind one of the tables working i was like oh i remember her from that scene so it like gives you a look at like oh this this town's like a community they all come here you'll yeah. see them throughout the film just like david tells you yeah and i remember in in john goodman's part he stayed on a little bit longer than everyone else his movements were a bit bigger there. because you know he was like trying to appease he was trying to appeal and he's to literally people. singing someone else's song yeah and then at the end he sings his own song mm. i mean that's brilliant like yeah he he eventually grows into being his own person at the end of this movie like he doesn't try to appease people he sings at the end about what he genuinely is feeling and what he genuinely feels about people in the town and that song's beautiful it's probably the best one of the best songs in the movie people like us people like us yeah it's one of the best we'll still get to that because that's like near the end um let's talk a bit about david byrne Mm -hmm. he's not an actor really But boy, is he the best thing in this fucking movie. He's the poster. He's the poster. He's the dream. He's everything. He reminds me of our good friend and guest frequently on the podcast, Will Brooks. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if Will Brooks would play this role if they ever remade it. Like, I was just thinking about our good friend, Will Brooks. Because it's this awkward, stiff delivery, which our friend Will does have. And it's used to such perfect comedic timing. Now, tell me what did you think when when you start this movie, when you're going to this movie blind and David Byrne pops up and you're not really familiar with the talking heads? No, I, I've only ever heard you mention it and from the context of what you said, I knew it was a band, but I always thought of... The, there's a British show yeah. called Talking Heads that I've seen one episode of. Um, So, you're not familiar with David Byrne as a person or an artist? He was in an episode of The Simpsons as himself he mm-hmm. he was the guy who helped produce Homer's Christmas album about Flanders sucking 
Yeah, yeah. That was him. Oh, that was David. Okay, yeah. That was David I, remember, I remember that episode. Where he played an alternative version of himself where he's a corporate asshole, but that's not David Byrne. Um, so you walk into this not knowing much, and you got David Byrne, who's someone you don't know. Mm-hmm. What did you think about him in general? Because he's coming in and we're actors, and he's making the what could be considered the wrong acting choices. Mm-hmm. But they're all perfect. But what did you think of him? No, well, I definitely knew that that's what he was going for, and he did it well. Mm. <laughs> um... It was it was a lot of fun watching him do that because there is there is a fun factor to seeing something so stiff and so consistently stiff. Um, and I do remember way earlier in this episode you were talking about how he didn't judge uh, the town or anything like that. He he actually seemed really into everything. You know, he seems really on board. I feel for everything. There were like two or three moments where he was like, you know, I'm not usually into this, but this I really like. Yeah. He, like, said that about a bunch of things. But then sometimes he's too pro on things. Like, he's too, like, blasé about things. Like, like the th- I laughed my ass off when they're at the shopping mall. And they cut to that scene of those two guys laughing about, like, Ethiopians starving to death. And oh, the like, ones reading the books. Yeah, yeah, and they're laughing. And it, it's very on the nose. Like, that's probably the most on the nose piece of satirization observation thing about, like, oh, Americans laughing at the needs of third world country, right? Mm. It goes on too long, right? They're laughing, 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 and it's just stuck in the static shot. But what makes it perfect is it cuts back to David Byrne looking at them, and he just smiles and chuckles to himself like, <laughs> wonderful. Like, he thinks that's a great reaction. <laughs> and that's what I mean. Like, everything he does is slightly wrong because it feels like David Byrne, the character, the narrator, he's an outsider, yes? He's not a part of this town. He's from somewhere else. So even his brand of weirdness doesn't match the brand of weirdness of the town. Yeah. Right? He's kind of trying to... It's like... The best way I've heard this be described is it's like he's an alien that's observed human culture and is explaining it back to us, but the degrees of understanding and separation have blurred it to this point. There's nuggets of truth in these characters that you can go, yes, I, I get that. Like, why are there 40 sets of twins in this movie? I thought it was 50. Or 50 or something sets of twins. It's because David Byrne wanted them. That's why. Because it's like, you can make some statement about like, oh, it's about the duality of men or like how this culture is making us all look alike. No, it's because David Byrne thought it would be amusing to put 50 sets of twins in this movie. Um, Did you have a favorite... Some favorite David Byrne moments in this. He has many great lines. Well, like I said, the European line was. One I of them. <laughs> love when he's standing outside the Veracore building, the factory, mm-hmm. and he's talking about like you know it's a uh, it's a uh, here's nature, isn't it beautiful? And it's like and here's this building by Veracore, and he's explaining Veracore, and then he's like, it's cool, this building, it's a multi-purpose shape, a box. And then he turns and walks away, and you're like, what was that? I love that. Or. <laughs> Or random scenes of him when he is interacting with them. Like when he meets John Goodman in the club. He just kind of stumbles in into the scene. And he's wearing this huge cowboy hat and these clothes. Which he later states no one wears. But he buys them to blend in. Like he's some (laughs) alien that doesn't understand. Like the hat is slightly too big. There was that one day of university where our friend Will brought a really, really really big cowboy hat. 
not as not 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 as small as David Burns, but as big as it could fit in a room. But like, yeah, someone posted on like the Deacon Facebook page. But I, I love David Byrne, like when he interacts with John Goodman, and like John Goodman's like, "Hey, look at my shoes." It's like it's like the song says, it's scientifically proven or whatever. And David Byrne's like, "Huh, I've never heard that one," huh. and just keeps walking. Or I really like. One of my favorite bits, it makes me laugh hysterically. I don't know if it made you laugh, but it just cuts to him in his car with the obvious back projection behind mm-hmm. him. But and it cut- the wheel's not attached. And the wheel's not attached properly. And he's going all over the place and he's like, this is some fancy driving, all right. And that's the end of the scene. <laughs> what was that? What was that there for? Other than it was hilarious. Or I really like when he's like in the car and he's like, I personally, for me, believe I can see Fort Worth from here. What a weird statement to make. Like, I personally believe, for me, I can see Fort Worth from here. And all he sees is an empty field. What's he talking about? Like, there are those lines where you go, what's he talking about? Hmm. But then later on, they have lines where they're beautiful. When he's talking about that mole, that's beautiful. What he's saying is beautiful. Like, the way he says it, like, he's talking about, like, yeah, the moles come to town and it's reinvigorated the life of the town, but you know, no one wants to go wants to go down to those kooky shops anymore. But he doesn't say it like, oh what a bummer that is. He's just like, that's a fact. Now people can go to this one place in which they can get everything they need at this one place. And now instead of forming communities in many tiny little places across the town, they can form a community in this one big place in the town. Isn't that interesting? What do you think? It's kind of like, what do you think of that? It's like the age of where we're at is moving forward. Like in some ways we're regressing, in some ways we're going forward. And he has that great line, which in any other actor's hands could be cheesy. When he's like, what time is it? No time to look back. And he delivers it with like utmost sincerity. Like he delivers it like it's the most sincere thing you could ever say. But he's just talking about a mole. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I like the line where he said where um uh it was he mentioned that the town now has names for things that didn't used to have names. So it yeah. just like makes it much easier to converse. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I like that too. I liked with his narrator character, I think he did a really good job in filmmaking and acting or not sure, but like in jo- good job of when to put him in the movie. Yeah. He's in the movie enough. He's not in every single shot, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and he's not overbearing. And the one thing I've always appreciated about this movie is the narrator holds it all together. You know, we've watched movies in which they have a narrator character pop in and pop out, and you don't need them, you could cut them. Yeah. Whether they be physically or just a voice in the movie, you could cut them and it wouldn't make a difference. But in this movie... And I've seen this in stage plays, I've seen this in movies, shows, when they have a narrator character, an omnipresent kind of outsider. And you, we just talked about it in two hands last episode. They had a ghost character in that movie. They didn't need him. Mm. Cut him. This movie has it, and it actually matters. Like, they actually make a point of how we integrate him into the story, and what does he actually offer to the movie as a whole, as well as a character on its own. Like, we never find out his name. But you get an understanding of what he's about, who he is, and what he does. Whether you think he's doing a high school presentation or he's doing like a <laughs> national docu- like National Geographic documentary or whatever it is. You you appreciate like a narrator figure actually has a point. 
we were just talking before we started this about the the new Quentin Tarantino movie, and on my one of my big problems is they have a narrator character in it, just a voice, yeah, and he serves no purpose other than Quentin Tarantino likes to have them in there. Well, in this movie, David Byrne obviously likes to have this narrator character in there. Originally, he didn't want to even play it, which I find insane. Like, could you imagine him not being this guy? <laughs> could you imagine someone else delivering these lines, being as sincere? I can't. Well, Will, but... <laughs> yeah, our friend Will wasn't born yet. <laughs> or was he? He might, be, he might have been a god already by that point. No, no, he's our year. Um, so what about the club scene made it one of your favorite scenes, really, the lip sync bar? What well, about it just stuck out to you as one of your favourites? Well, on top of it being just a lot of fun, it was like what I was saying before about how it it's a really good uh, scene for a first act, a beginning of a film, Yeah, where it introduces a lot of the characters, it shows you that the town, you know, they, they, they have a certain level of fun that they like to have with each other, this is a group activity, mm. and when they go on stage and, like, they, they all lip-synced you know a few lines of the song and maybe do their own little actions and some of them you know playing it a bit cool some of them playing it really dweeby but there's no judgment going on no it's just like these are the characters yeah these are just the people of the town most of them were just people that lived in the town they were filming at yeah and throughout the film you might see them a few times and be like yeah i remember you and here's you in your everyday life and i just thought that was a really cool thing to have in the beginning act of a film yeah, I agree. My personal favourite scene in this movie, there's so many great sequences. I mean, obviously the talent show stuff's amazing, but my favourite scene is the the dinner scene with <laughs> the family that don't speak to each other directly. Um, to give a bit of a backup of this, Spalding Gray, um, in case you don't know, he was he was an actor, but he was mainly known for doing spoken word stuff, monologues just about his life. There's a lot of great filmed version of these you can find pretty easy. I'd recommend Swimming to Cambodia, which was made by, I think, directed by Jonathan Demme. Or maybe he directed Monster in a Box. But, like, he would give great filmmakers as well, like Steve Soddenberg and a few others, that direct his spoken word stuff. And if, you, if you're like, oh, I'm not into spoken word stuff, give it a go. He's fascinating. He grips you. And he just, all he does is sit at a desk and talk. It's amazing. Monster in a Box is my particular favourite, but so it's interesting to see him in this movie. And he makes so many interesting acting choices, to say the least. And we get introduced to him as like this guy who's brought all of this to the town. He's basically the mayor of the town, but without the actual position of mayor. Mm. He's the benefactor. He's basically a god. And that could be... Uh, in another filmmaker's hands, he could be seen as a scary figure. Like, he's bringing all of this corporate stuff in here. But what humanizes this character even more, even though he's doing all this weird stuff, is... And not talking to his wife directly. His wife is great, too. I love her. But, um... Is this dinner scene where David Byrne is at their dinner... At their dinner. He even mentions early in the movie, like, Oh, I'm gonna meet them later tonight. And then he does. What makes this character of Mr... uh, uh, Of Spalding Gray's character more humanized, but also weirder, is this dinner scene... And I found this scene very compelling. Like, it's probably the most contemporary piece of thing that exists in this movie. Think about this from the 1980s standpoint and think about it in today's standpoint. It's so odd. He's basically talking about, like, how everything's changing and how business and industry is changing. Like, back in the day, 
you just work from nine to five and you maybe get promoted, but you work that job for pretty much all your life and then you retire and that's that. But nowadays, people are starting their own companies and they split off from the main corporations and they start working their own hours and heck, they don't even know when to stop working. Working is fun for them and he even says it scares me. But it's because I don't understand it yet. Like, that's the kind of thing. And now you think about it today, Bartek, how contemporary is that? Like, we have people with the age of the internet and people starting up their own businesses and all of that. And, you know, and this isn't properly a job for us. But, like, with the podcast stuff, you know, we work in weird ways on this and stuff. And it's independent stuff. And isn't that interesting? Did you find that it's, in this yeah, yeah. scene? It, it was a little glimpse into the future. He said, this is the future that we're heading to. And now we're talking about this film in that future. But it's presented... In the present, yes. <laughs> no, I meant it's presented <laughs> crazily because he starts well, yes. grabbing pieces of food and throwing them around and then yeah, the, lights the... come on to the different dishes of food. If, if you're deaf, the visual level of this film is that for the first, like, three minutes of this scene, it's, it's, a, it's a dinner scene where they're, like, you know, passing food to each other. And they're sitting very, very politely. similar to The Last Supper. Then all of a sudden, he has this really big monologue where he's, like, doing a lot of movements and he's, like, grabbing a bunch of things. He's grabbing them... a lobster and, like, flying it in the air like a plane. He's, like, explaining... It's like when you talk with your hands, but he's, like, playing with the food. <laughs> he, like, throws it in the air. So all of a sudden, this nice, sophisticated dinner is, you know like child's play like he's throwing all the whatever it is but it still looks elegant yeah because of the very elegantly (laughs) but because of the camera work it kind of slows things down a little does nice shot the lighting but also you got this classical music just getting more intense as it goes along like the daughter what did you think about did you notice at the beginning of that scene the daughter's like does anyone else hear that music and everyone's like oh yeah yeah and and then david burns like is your daughter okay (laughs) <laughs> like, because she could hear the artifice of this movie, which is insane. But she's not the only character who could hear things. But, um, yeah, he's throwing all this stuff. He's being crazy. But what he's saying is accurate. But mm. then he also has nonsensical things said in there that's absolutely nuts. And you don't know, because Spalding Gray is playing it so crazily. Is it satirical? Or is it serious? Because... What he's saying is serious, but Spalding Gray is performing it in a silly manner that makes it sound like it's a joke. Because I'm laughing during that scene, I don't know about you, when the when the plate starts spinning around. Yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> and when he's like, he grabs the whole thing of asparagus, and he's talking about, like, going to heaven, and he points the asparagus up to the sky. <laughs> That's crazy. But what he's saying is so accurate, like, like... It's a scary world that we're living in, but at the same time, it's so refreshing. Like, it's something I don't understand, but hopefully I will one day, where it's like... But at the same time, don't you think it's also a bit frightening, Bartek, as well? Like, what he's stating, like, people are losing the concept of work hours. Like, work is going all the time now into our weekends. There's no such things as weekends anymore, is what he ends it with, and then he gets into a prayer pose, and the scene just fades out and ends... But what do you think about that? I see why you're calling him God now, the the heaven and the prayer pose, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and he has a giant portrait of himself behind him. (laughs) As God does, yes. Well, you imagine... In God's house, the church, yes. But he kind of is like a God-like figure of the town. Like, everyone talks about him. Like, John Goodman says if it wasn't for him, this mole probably wouldn't even be here. That's scary, right? But, like, they never present it like it's scary. They always just present it as, that's the way it is. Like, he's a nice guy. 
But on a level, on like a on a on a level, it is kind of worrying, right? Don't wouldn't you agree? Like all this different kind of change that the world has gone through, where where work has become so much a part of everyday life that there is no clear definer of what is and isn't work time anymore. Yeah, for certain jobs, I suppose. Like, yeah. But it's expanded into multiple types of jobs, and that's kind of what he's on about. And with the computer age, that changes everything too. Mm. But I also love that he's not like David Burns a techno fear. It's not like he's 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 afraid of technology. I mean, he has a character that can read people's wavelengths or whatever. Like, he can read your tunes, and like he holds your head, and you can hear static. <laughs> I liked him. He was great. <laughs> Sorry, was that the church guy or was that the guy in his house? Um, or was it's, that someone else? It's the guy who sings the song Radiohead. It's the guy that uh, John Goodman gives money to so he can go see the witch doctor guy. Oh, right, right, in the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And right. he does it at the conveyor belt because they all work for Vericor. Did you, what did you think about that? The whole town works for Vericor in some way, including the rich woman because she's asking about her stocks. Yeah, that's where we first see them. Yeah, exactly. But, like, isn't it is odd, right? Like... Everyone works here. Everyone works in, for this building, this one place, yeah, basically. I, I forgot that because they really don't make a big deal about it. No, yeah. no. It's just kind of like <laughs> everyone, this is where they work. Now, we haven't talked about it, but what did you think of the lying woman? We haven't talked about it very much. What did you think about her? <laughs> she she played it very genuinely, obviously. Mm. Um, and it was... <laughs> <laughs> she was nuts. <laughs> she, well, she, well, she was lying, right? Did you know that she wasn't supposed to be in that um, church scene? She just rocked up that day and decided and made up all that stuff about JFK. <laughs> that just happened. Like, the actress, she just turned up. Okay. <laughs> and, it, and it's amazing. That's probably my favorite scene of her, when she's talking about JFK and how she dated him and she died for her. And it's just like, the priest, like, the, the minister guy's just like, right. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Was. That was insightful. <laughs> Moves on. What's he talking about? But yeah, what do you think about her? She was fun, right? Yeah, she was, yeah. Did you have a favourite lie from her? <laughs> what were they again? Uh, there was the JFK one, the first she one... She wrote songs for Elvis. Mm. She could have been a singer, but she looked, she sang too much like Pat Benatar. <laughs> she had a tail. <laughs> the tail one was pretty good. And it got sold to Lyndon B. Johnson. Had a market. What? That tale went through a big journey, Ryan. That's not a lie. <laughs> That's not a lie. I loved her. She was just constantly talking shit throughout. Like, uh, like, I like the one where she was like uh, Spalding Gray's character. She just said it at the parade. You know, he has a tattoo of a bull on his stomach. Really? Yeah. And that's it. Cut to something else. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's weird. So, Bartek, um... You seem to be interested in seeing this movie again. Yes. What are some things about this movie that you think would be helpful to you on a second viewing? Because I'm just so curious about the aspects of this movie that you maybe didn't get or didn't like. Because um, you seem a little bit like you like it, but I think you, there's some aspects that you may not be liking of it. I, I, said, I said at the beginning of this, I'm very conflicted about it. And I am leaning towards liking it more than hating it. Because I do see that there are things here. And like I said, I have a favourite scene that I think works really well. Yeah. I have characters that I really like. And I really want to give it another chance now that I understand, like, okay, this film's not gonna go in a typical direction. 
No, no. And I have, and, you know, I, I guess this is much like Miller's Crossing. It begs repeat viewing. Yeah, yeah. Um, What did you think about the um the visuals of the movie from just, like, a directing standpoint and the visual stuff going on in the movie? Because we're talking about how weird it is. Mm. But um, do you support, like, it is, like, weird and how it's visually presented? Or what do you think? Now that you mentioned the visuals, I'm picturing random moments in the film and I'm seeing moments where there's not a lot of mise-en-scene and a lot of mise-en-scene. Like all the empty fields, but then there's like parades with a million people in them, (laughs) clubs that are packed and... Empty roads. Empty roads. Yeah, it's it's freeways are the... What was it? Freeways are the modern day cathedrals, he says at one point. (laughs) Yeah, Somebody it's... said that. I don't know who. <laughs> He's got the answer written down somewhere. Um, yeah, it's, it's a film that goes to a lot of extremes with its visuals, but also... Not. Not, yeah. There's not. It's not like there's a lot of really vibrant colours. Like we even mentioned with... Um, but it is colourful. It is colourful, but they're not like super vibrant, I don't think. Yeah, like, I'm there th- are I'm, and there aren't. I'm thinking of like his baby blue suit. Like, yeah, it's it's nice and blue, but... It's it's a very kind of like palish whitish kind but of. But what thing. about David Burns outfits? I guess that works for the movie. Like his outfits are bright and over the top. Mm. Like he's wearing a bright green suit, or he's wearing like a bright yellow shirt. Like he's kind of an outsider. Mm. I guess it works for him. Yeah, that works there. You have the fashion show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's colorful. That was an interesting scene. Yeah, when the when the announcer lady was just singing over the whole thing. The wife of <laughs> the guy that doesn't talk to her. She is great. I love that fashion scene. Yeah, I think just before we get to the fashion scene, the direction. When you say it's kooky and odd, you're thinking like, oh, the direction's going to be kooky and odd. You're thinking it's going to be like a Wes Anderson movie where everything's symmetrical and there's bright colors and everything's like you know what i'm talking about you've seen wes anderson movies in your life like grand budapest hotel yes yes grand budapest hotel on a visual level is kooky to look at this film has elements of those things but it never feels show-offy in its direction it just feels kind of like here's the shot they're standing in the middle of the shot like a lot of things are in the center of the shot very symmetrical but never like in a over-the-top or very look-at-me kind of way that you could say someone like Wes Anderson or, or uh, uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick or Paul Thomas Anderson and those kind of, like, look-at-me, I'm, I'm visual director or Christopher Nolan. How did how did David Byrne describe the, the IT company building again? Was it economic or...? Yeah. Um, yeah. Multi-purpose. Uh, multi-purpose. It's a box. It's yeah. a box, yes. It's the, cool. The, it's a multi-purpose shape. Every, a box. Everything in the film is just a town. Yeah, it feels just very... And I think it also helps that they're doing this faux documentary style for a good portion of it, so it feels a little bit more real. Hmm. Even though it's still an artifice, like, there's still, like... I love that bit where he drives to the mall and he's just like, yeah, the mall. And then this woman randomly walks in, like, near his car and she says, like, something or other. And then he turns the camera and says, says Christy Cortez. And then goes back and lets her speak again. (laughs) What was that? So it's like weird stuff like that. But I think what makes this movie less of a... uh, I could see people not liking this because it's too um, hipstery. Yeah. Or too quirky. Well, hipster, yeah, I guess, maybe. But the problem is, I don't fully agree with that because it's not being as show-offy visually. And I think what we've said is, David Byrne has a true love for these characters. While hipstery kind of twee things, like even uh, uh, Wes Anderson has 
love for some characters, but contempt for other characters. There's no villain in this movie or villainous people. There's no one that he looks down his nose at because these are just really any cynicism in the film, which you do get in some Wes Anderson movie, a lot of Wes Anderson's and these hipstery type movies. So I kind of feel like there's that label doesn't necessarily apply. I won't argue that it doesn't, but I wouldn't say that it truly does on a level because there's no cynicism. It's all this movie. One word to describe it. Pleasant. It's a pleasant movie. You don't feel angry. Pleasant or content. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sweet. Now let's talk about that fashion show. <laughs> there are a lot of outfits, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> talk us about. Talk us through this fashion show. It was wonderful. Well, what did you think about on. this? Because I've seen it so many times that I'm kind of used to it now. And I've only seen it the one time, and I can barely remember it. Um. Yeah. I, the, the towards the end, I remember they started having really gigantic headpieces. Yes, that are like 15 million feet tall, and the cute woman falls off the stadium. <laughs> The um, runway, <laughs> the runway. Yeah, they they had those suits that were like grassy. Or they were leafy. made out of real gl- grass. Made out of real grass, <laughs> and some were astroturf. But yeah, they had the guy who made them out of real grass, and he was like, "If I, I only give you them if I'm in the movie, because it's a David Byrne Talking Heads movie. I want to be in a Talking Heads movie. God damn it, I do. And like, I would be the same." <laughs> So the grassy suits, you had like those really huge bowl, like those huge headpieces. I like the dress that's a cake. It was like a dress that looked like a cake. Yes, there was. There was, yeah. I also really liked um, the fluffy suits. The ones that look kind of like moo Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they had like the normal suits, but they look like throw cushions, like really fluffy. And they were like the blue and the pink and whatnot. And uh mm. They had, like, fat people wearing them, like, bigger people. That's what I liked about this movie, too. Really inclusive of everyone. All sizes, all races, all genders. It was never, like... Yeah, John Goodman's our lead. He's the white guy lead, but he's also, like, a fat guy. And again, that goes back to my favourite scene, the Wild Wild Ride one, where, like, all the people coming on, they're all different races and sizes and shapes and, yeah. Genders, everything. It's, It's really an inclusive little movie about a small little town. Yeah. In Texas. Um... I love that fashion show because you know what I love about it the most? Her singing over this entire thing. But before she sings, what she's saying is really sinister. She's like, be sexy in business. Be successful at night. You've got to shop at the mall. And she's like, she even says a line like, like, shopping should be made a law. (laughs) That's so terrifying. And she says it with this line delivery where she's like so empty. And then she sings this song, which is a beautiful song. I don't know if you what you thought about the song itself, but it's a beautiful song called Dream Operator. But it means nothing when she sings it and in the context of what's happening. Because you're like, why is she singing? Yeah, it feels like the kind of song that would play, like a band would play it and there'll be like an other singer and occasionally she would try and be like, and this outfit here has a nice yeah. little grassy thing. Yeah. But she's singing this gorgeous, beautiful song where she's like fully belting out like Dream Operator. But it means, and she's just standing in one spot swaying back and forth and it means nothing when she sings it. Mm. But when you listen to it, and just listen to it on just a pure musical level as well as lyrical, it's a beautiful song. And she's a girl, I know I'm not doing dissuade. She's singing it beautifully. Yes, that's But true. it means absolutely nothing when she sings it. Like, it's, it's such an empty song when she's singing it, because she's an empty person on a level. Hmm. Um, we haven't talked about Sweezy Kurtz. 
the lady in bed? Or the, the lazy the woman. The lazy woman, yes. <laughs> um, as as I probably just spoiled, guys, uh, she spends all her time in bed. She gets out. She gets out. That's her character arc. We see we see her sit and like about to get up. I think. Mm. Or do we see her stand? She, we see her physically get out of the bed. Okay, and, and we don't frame, see her right? run. Uh, we see her run out of frame, but we don't see her out of that frame. Mm. We don't see her out of the bedroom. We just see her get up. She gets back in bed later on. Don't worry, she gets back in bed. Don't worry, lazy woman gets um, lazy. How did you feel seeing Susie Kurtz again? <laughs> she was your favorite. One of your favorites in Bubble Boy, as the mum. Mm, she was really good as the mum. And she's in this, and she's over the top. <laughs> She's literally making noises. She's like, <laughs> she's a- like, they move like snakes. <laughs> What's she talking about? There's a segment in this film. It, it cuts back to her a few times, but there's one where she's just flicking through channels, mm. and you're seeing a bunch of like, you know, three seconds of ads or TV shows or whatever. There's like that one where a guy's got like a can for a head. Yeah, yeah, and and very occasionally she'll just make like a quiet like observation, like she's <laughs> riffing it or something. <laughs> But some of her observations are noises. <laughs> <laughs> I like when she did what's that music video? I like that music video of of the uh, I can't remember which song it is off the top of my head, but it's like their 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 the talking heads music video that's making fun of TV ads where like David Byrne is like spinning like he's a roll of lipstick coming out of a of a. I remember the lipstick. And, you know, and he's wearing, like, the bright... They're all wearing the bright outfits, like, the whole band. Like, he's wearing bright yellow, one of us wearing bright red, and they're, like, making these movements. And there's this bit where they're, like, squatting, and they look like a star on the ground. And she just goes, ooh, they're doing that aerobics! And you're like, <laughs> Swoozy Kurtz. I loved her. Did you love the fact that she had a robot? <laughs> I did, I did. She had a, a, you know, Hispanic butler and she had a robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was a butler, right? Yeah, he was his, uh, at least he was a housekeeper of yeah, some yeah. variety. And he comes back later to be an important role in the movie for John Goodman. He's the guy who helps John Goodman out with love. Yeah. He's into voodoo. But that's the thing, you hear, there's a witch doctor in this movie. You're thinking, oh no, there's going to be that mysticism, evil mysticism. No, 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 no. It's played sincerely and sweetly. It's never played that kind of uh, spooky voodoo stereotype. He's just a guy. Mm-hmm. Accepts money. He's got Virgin Marys everywhere. And he gives some very gentle advice. <laughs> Drink half. <laughs> and then throw the rest away. Throw the rest away. Soda water. Soda water. Drink half. And he does do that at the end, John Goodman. Mm-hmm. When he's about to get on stage, he's like, oh, no. And then pours it away and then holds the, the, the little medallion that he'll put on his little tie. Um, I like Swoozy Kurtz in this. She has this whole monologue where it's like, isn't it annoying when you buy hot dogs and buns? Like the buns come in packs of like, uh, like nine or twelve, and the hot dogs come in like packs of, packs of six or nine. Like you gotta, you gotta like buy nine whole packs to make them all add up, and then it just moves on to something else. Like that's this movie. It moves on to something else, mm-hmm. just um, like our podcast. Yeah. Now but, this scene, now this scene. Now, before we move on to any other scenes, let's go through any other characters we enjoyed in this movie. There was, I just mentioned the guy who sings Radiohead, uh, who's played by Tito, um, who's a well-known musician, actor, guy. He was in From Dusk Till Dawn. He was one of the vampire members. Like, he was one of the vampires at the end. He's he's playing a band. He's a band in the Titty Twister bar. He plays a human body as a guitar. Um, I liked his character this time around. Like, he's one I always forget about. Like, he serves a plot function, but I really like that he just casually can read people's 
emotions, I guess? Like, he calls them their tunes, because he's got a radio receiver in his head, I guess, is what he sings. And uh, he sings the song Radiohead, which inspired the band Radiohead to get their name, oddly enough. I did read that. The best thing about Radiohead is the song that they got the name from. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, Radiohead fans. Hot take. They suck. Um... Any other characters that you 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 want to mention or that you liked? There was that priest character. <laughs> yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> he's just talking absolute gibberish nonsense about like cons- he's the tech like he's the fearful one. Like he's talking about like corporate greed and like corruption and the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a whole PowerPoint about what was it again? Like. Nixon. <laughs> he was like he was like con- making all these connections and like comparing them to barcodes or something. Yeah, yeah, it's all connected. It's computer again, chips. Again, you, I'm I'm probably illustrating why I want to see this movie again because there's just a lot of things that like I remember very little bits of, but not completely. Um. All right. Since this is slightly a musical, did you have a favorite? song other than wild wildlife which i think you stated was your favorite song or at least you enjoyed that sequence it was, it was my favorite sequence for sure um favorite song i mean it's a hard one there's the one with the kids yeah i was just thinking like there was hey that scene now. with the kids hey now then that song works because they're talking about buying stuff get a rubber ball like i like just answer it while you're thinking mm. it's a toss-up for me between the last two songs people like us because the whole movie builds to that, and once it is released, it's so good, and it, you feel so good for him. And you genuinely believe he, you, even though you don't necessarily get it, you do believe he wins the talent show for that, and he just deserves winning for that, and even though we saw all these other acts in the talent show, which were amazing. Um, and the last song, City of Dreams. That last, the cr- closing credits song, where he's literally just talking about what we've just watched. Like, you know, he talks about the Indians and the city of dreams. And it's like, that is a perfect way to end this feature film. Like, it's a toss-up between those two songs because they're just so perfect for what the movie has done to that point. But also, they're good songs. All of them are good songs. But for me, it's a toss-up between those two. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd need to see the film again, just hear all the songs. But I do remember people like us being really good. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't like the priest song, Puzzling Evidence? Again, I remember it being interesting. With the I, choir? But, but there's just so much that I'm trying to remember that I just can't remember. Um, Yeah, there's the Hey Now one with the kids. Yeah, there's... that one That one I remember. It felt like it came out of nowhere, but I'm sure if I watch it again, there's, there's some... Yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of this dream operator with her. There's a few others that are pr- pretty good. There's the one with the witch doctor, Papalegba, Papa which is the one, you know, while he's getting his ceremony and stuff prepared. That one's pretty fun. Hmm. And there's and you're seeing all the other talent shows, uh, talent acts at the show. So let's talk about like pretty much the end of this movie and what we kind of, and what we think about in general and move on to. The, the festival of specialness. Uh, 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 specialness. Like, he has to separate it for no real reason. I don't know why. Yeah, we're here for the celebration of specialness. Well, it's in two parts, isn't it? you got the parade mm. with all the babies, and then that one baby who did not like being touched. <laughs> did you notice that? Like, he, the scene ends with this baby, like, grabbing this woman, the cute woman's face. Like, do not touch me. I think so. <laughs> um, did you love that parade? <laughs> 
It was interesting. I remember the babies mostly because the the cute woman was just going nuts. Going nuts. On what it. about the the old men in the little cars? And they were they were going like in figure eights. Yeah. <laughs> Want to hear something funny? In the documentary, it cuts to this woman, and she's like, "Those guys are real." And then that it cuts to something else. Like it just cuts to her to say that, and then cuts to something else. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, I always think of, with those guys, I think of Homer Simpson when he thinks of what ballet is. He goes, oh yeah, I'd love to see the ballet. And he thinks of those guys, but it's a bear inside one of those little cars. I think I remember And that. you hear the circus music going around and Homer's just like, and he's like, yeah, I love the ballet. And then when he tells like Lenny and Carl, it's like, oh, did the ballet? And Carl's like, oh, really? With the bears and the little cars? It's like it's a continuing thing. I liked um yeah the so uh, the the parade is fun. What I liked about it too is David Byrne's outfit. He's wearing this absurd green suit and the biggest hat he wears in the movie. And John Goodman goes, "Hey, nice hat!" <laughs> just points to it. <laughs> just directly points to it. I love when they're in the uh, the mall though, when he does point out that there are twins, and he's just like, "Yeah, yeah, they're mums. I went to the school with one of their mothers, who's also a twin." And he just points at them and goes, "Hey, twin." John Goodman, I don't know why, he just does that. Um, so, the talent show. Bartek, what did you think of this talent show? And did you have any highlights of this? And Could you just run me through all the acts that were in the talent show? Well, there were the two guys that um, had the one in the middle yodeling, and they were like, um, uh, what do they call auctioneers? They were auctioneering against each other. Oh, yes, that's right. I remember that now. That's yeah. amazing. They had, of course, uh, the kids with the ventriloquist dolls. They also, of course, had the old ladies doing like line dancing in their America shirts. Mm. They obviously also had those women that were doing the cool dancing with like the flowy dresses. They also had those cowgirl women that were dancing with like those giant like hoops they were dancing around. But I think the most important, and I think the one we all agree upon, there's other talents that I'm probably missing out on. Uh the giant head that's eating a cob of corn that's made out of balloons. balloons and yeah. there's a woman <laughs> as a stick of butter dances by and then goes away again. And I think the audience clapped at the corn. What I recall. No, they clapped it when she comes on the butter, oh, right. the butter, right? <laughs> they were clapping all the time. What did you think of that? <laughs> That's like the most absurd thing in the movie, right? It was an interesting prop for sure. But you know what I like about all those talents? They're believable. Yeah, you could see someone making them. Yeah, I, I when I saw the balloons on the corner and they were like popping occasionally, I was like. That's actually a really good idea for a, <laughs> right? if, like, if you're gonna have a giant corn prop. With right, like a, and you're eating materials. it, yeah. yeah. And I like that they wore white as well, so when you see them, they look like teeth popping. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb, but I love it. I, I think, I think, yeah, the the auctioneers caught my attention the most. With the yodeling guy in the middle that lassos them together, <laughs> that they all look uncomfortable. <laughs> it's because it's such an interesting idea, right? Like, having two auctioneers, Mexican standoffs, like, gun draw battle each other, but they're just doing their job of auctioneering voices. Like, hey, 45, 45, 45, 45, and they're just stepping closer and closer to one another. I thought that was great. I thought I'd watch that. I would watch that. I did watch that. Um, I liked. I even liked um the other bands like Tito's band when he's singing Radiohead at the end, and he's like really getting into it, you know. And it's a good song, and he does a good job of it. But John Goodman steals the show as he rightfully should. He's our main character on a level. He's the one we empathize with the most. 
He's great. You got the lying woman in the crowd just telling a bunch of lies <laughs> all through like how she could have been in the talent show, but her manager wouldn't let her. All that kind of crazy stuff. But John Goodman gets up there. He's wearing a cowboy outfit. His band's named The Bachelors, which is a great name for his band. Um, what did you think of this, man? John oh. Goodman being people like us. Did it take you away? Did it, did you, did you, were you impressed? I was. He was a very good singer. Yeah, right? Yeah. You don't think of John Goodman as a singer, right? <laughs> no, I don't. But what do you think of the song itself? Again, I I thought it was I thought it was good. Yeah. Poignant. Did you Yeah, I think it's a really poignant song. I think it really communicates the message of the movie. I think what's really gripping about it is you can see John Goodman's really into this performance at this point, like actually performing the song, like we've seen him fluff it before. And now he's got it all together and he's got all this combination. Like we didn't mention, but he saw the witch doctor and the witch doctor helped him and whatnot, right? Gave him a photo, gave him money, all that. So he could win this talent show, but also find true love finally. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that he's finally won over the attention of everyone in the town, including the lazy woman and her actual love for him because he's wearing his heart on his sleeve. He's opening himself up as himself because throughout the whole movie, he's kind of like, matrimony is the most important thing and like love is important but he kind of didn't realize and it doesn't beat you over the head with this but he kind of hasn't realized that you just have to be yourself to do it mm. uh or you have to accept that people may not like you for you uh so he puts himself out there with people like us and you just have so many great lyrics in that song that just nail it like nail this whole movie which is about p a bunch of people from texas but not is it just a bunch of people from texas but it's a bunch of people from literally anywhere you know whether you're from the suburbs or rural or whatever there's always these small little pockets of communities that even though life is tearing things apart in the grander scheme of things there's always optimism in these little communities. Do you know what I mean, Bartek, by that? Yes, yes, I do. And that's kind of what this movie's about. Like, we talked about all these scary changes and whatnot, but the town and the movie itself has this optimism that we see in the real world. Like, you just get on with it, you know? You just kind of go with the flow, even if the flow on a level could be terrifying or could be wonderful. You just kind of go with it. And that's kind of what the song's getting at. It's like, people like us, and I love the, we don't want justice, we don't want freedom, we just want someone to love. And that's just the message of John Car uh, John Goodman's character. Like I said earlier, the song isn't necessarily progressing the plot. It's progressing that character, which we're not as used to with musicals of a more conventional nature. Hmm. More so, they're progressing the plot and themes of the movie. Maybe character depending, or they're there for fun. But this movie, when characters sing, they sing and it's about what they're about, which is interesting. Um, it's a great way to end the movie with him winning and uh, winning not just the talent show, but just his own destiny in life. And his wedding. And the wedding in bed. Now he no longer has to get out of bed. <laughs> Isn't that great? The dancing bear is tied down. He won't be losing weight like that. No, no, no. Well, Susie Curtis isn't going to be that overweight, is she? No, no, she isn't. Um, she doesn't even need to use spoons. No, she has a fork that feeds her. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the movie comes back to the narrative beginning, which is the little girl on the street. We didn't mention her. Yeah, 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 that's right. But, the movie um, starts with the little girl running, or not running, but like moving well, across a road towards yeah. the camera. And then at the end, it, she's moving away yep. and singing the themes of the movie, the, the weird little themes. Um, I like that this movie has that. 
He doesn't need it. You never find out who she is because it doesn't matter. Hmm, no. You can have your own theories about it. I've heard people go like, she's like the last bastion of peace in nature because she's like in flat nature and whatever. And she's like playing and it kind of matches with what he's talking about at the beginning of like, I'll remember the days in which, you know, this thing used to be water and now dinosaurs. and like. But in the end, it's just there because it's nice. She's David Byrne. We're all David Byrne. No, she's David Byrne. We are all David Byrne. I'm just the audience. You're David Byrne. I'm the audience who walked in blind. Um. Oh, we didn't talk about. I gotta say, uh, Spalding Gray's opening of the talent show, when he's doing like all those crazy hand gestures and he's like talking with his hands up underneath his armpits, <laughs> and he's telling that anecdote about like, you know, God created this place and. The ground hardened and he didn't want to start again because he's the god. He's gone, you know, he doesn't have the time. So, you know, he thought to himself in his miraculous wisdom, he's doing all these weird hand motions. It's like these noises with his fingers and he's just like, I know what I'll do. I'll come up with people that like it this way. I love Spalding Gray in this movie so much that when he came up in Straight Talk and he didn't do any weird shit in that movie, I thought of this moment when he's like standing there in his three-piece suit with his hands up on his armpits. Why? You were really building him up in Straight Talk, yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, he's going to be in Straight Talk. I love Spalding Gray, not only for spoken word stuff, but when he does do acting, he does weird choices. He didn't get do anything in Straight Talk, but in this he gets to go full hog. Uh, I used to think it was for nothing, but now I've seen the documentary. Those hand gestures were like uh, uh, mocking, uh, uh, cranking up how politicians use hand gestures in their speeches, even though they don't need to do hand gestures. Like Usually the hand gestures are there for manipulative purposes. Let's just crank it up to a silly degree. Okay, well, that's, what, that's basically what I was saying about the dinner scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the movie... It was an interesting little little movie. Undeniably I, interesting. <laughs> undeniably interesting. I love it. Of course, I recommend this feature film. It's a unique little movie. It's pleasant, and we don't get that very much. Of course, this movie got forgotten in time. It didn't do very well at the box office. People didn't know how to market this movie. It's made by. It was made by Warner Brothers, wasn't it? I, I believe. I think so. It was made by an actual film company. This isn't an independent movie. This is a studio movie. And think about that, Bart. It's like, we don't get studio movies like this ever. No, we don't. The best way I can describe this movie is pleasant. Um, It reminds me, of course, of people like Wes Anderson and John Waters. If John Waters wasn't a pervert, that's this. It's David Lynchian at times as well. David Byrne, I wish that he would make more movies. I wish he would write more scripts. I wish he would be involved in more of those creative projects. But... You know, he's doing music and he's doing visual arts and whatever, I get it. But uh, he's he only did this one movie, and I think it's a tragedy. I kept looking at it going, he's a great director. Like, just from a visual standpoint and the structure of it, even though it's a movie without a plot-heavy narrative, it still does have an emotional narrative. Like, when a scene ends, I've been joking, like, you just go, oh, what, what? <laughs> that just ended. The thing is... The story carries through an emotional level, so the emotion of the previous scene gets resolved in the next scene a lot of the time. And that's a very unique style of filmmaking. And one thing I will praise this movie for, too, is this movie is a movie. It tells its story not just through dialogue, but visual storytelling. And like we said, it's not too flashy. 
but it does tell its story with visuals, which is what the medium is. But that's been kind of forgotten moving, over time. Moving picture, yeah. But that's been kind of forgotten. People get obsessed with stories and dialogue and narratives and Sci-fi, super CGI. Yeah, I'm Black Panther, Wakanda, you know, like that <laughs> kind of thing. So, of course, I would recommend this. If you haven't checked it out already, you should definitely check it out now because even if you've heard us talk about it, it's still worth seeing for yourself. I mean, I understand why people... Again, visual medium. We're, uh, we're yeah. an audio podcast. <laughs> I would understand why people might not, may not like this. It may not be their cup of tea. People might think that it's a bit um, looking down upon people if you read it the wrong way. Like, is this weirdo narrator guy that's coming in and he's got these weirdo characters. But for me, it's pure and sweet and lovely. Bartek? I agree. It's a pleasant film. It's very. Con- its characters are very content with their situation. Um, there's a chance that if you watch it for the first time without knowing uh, what you're getting into, you'll be like me and be very confused and not remember quite as many details as Ryan here has. Um, I'm still. I'm still stuck in this little middle point between whether I like it or not, but I've definitely had positive things to say about it. Uh, the discussion that we've had has, you know, warmed me a little bit. Uh, it's it, There's definitely things going on here. So I can't in, you know, I, I can't say don't check it out because I think you, you have to see it for yourself to try and understand it. Yeah. I would recommend checking it out. And if not for anything else, just to see David Bur- Byrne's performance. On, on a, yes, on a pure level... There are just really fun things in this film. See, the thing that I've grappled with for a very long time with this movie, and the documentary doesn't clarify this either, which I'm very glad about, or the behind-the-scenes featurette. This whole time, when you... Yeah, okay, yeah, that's it. Um, It's basically a documentary about it, but uh, the one thing I find interesting is David Byrne's a weird guy. He's like our friend Will. This is just how he is. It makes me wonder, and I've always grappled with, does he know... Is he fully understanding of how hilarious he is in this movie? Or is this just the way he is? Because this is just... I've seen a lot of interviews with him. I've seen him on things. He has leaned into comedy persona version of himself. But also, when he does normal interviews, he kind of comes across the same way. It's always a mystery with this. Is is he aware of how much of a comedic performance this is? Or is he being sincere a lot of the time... To a degree in which... It, that's what I mean. It's He's so sincere-seeming so much of the time that it blurs that line of how much of a purely comedic performance this is. I think it's wonderful that you can still be guessing about that after multiple viewings. Like, sometimes I'm very certain, like, yes, this is a purely comedic performance he's doing. He understands how funny this is. Then other times I'm like, but he just seems so real about it at the same time and I and I know David Byrne I've seen him in interviews comedy ones or not and he's just kind of like that you know like we are these funny people these especially these creative arts creative arty people I mean we know some in real life that are like that where you just go are you do you know that you're funny <laughs> <laughs> you know I thought that with our friend Will a lot you know like I'm like do you know how hilarious you are right now or this, oh, that's just you um yeah definitely check it out yep. do you recommend Will as well I recommend our friend William Brooks. Uh, he's a good uh, five out of five for I him. I do too. Yes, he's got some special ness going on. <laughs> special ness. I don't know why he's the only one who says it like that. David Byrne in this movie. That it's makes a lot of syllables. 
Um, right here, we're going to play a promo now from one of the lovely podcasts that have given us a promo for the show. If you are a fellow podcaster and are interested in uh, sharing some promotional material with us, or if you even want to come on to the show at some point, we're very much welcoming of that as well. We have our email, spitandpolished at gmail.com. That's in the description of this episode as well. Um, do contact us for that. And if you're just, you know, you're a regular listening person and you want to contact us about things that you think about the movie of the topic of hand or movies we've talked about or movies that you want us to talk about or just general things that you want to swing our way, do email us on spitandpolished at gmail.com. We've also got the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polished Presents. You should find us pretty easily. We uh, Our logo is Little Sausages. Uh, <laughs> pretty yum yum. I'm the one with the me. beard. He's the one with the beard. So let's get into the Plug Zone Bartek. Are you ready to be plugged up? Let me just take off my pants. Hey guys, it's Kyle. And Nick. And we're from Dem Fancy Dinosaurs, a weekly comedy podcast revolving around movies, TV shows, and pop culture. We release a new episode every Thursday. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts? Why did you say that like a question? I don't know. Okay, anyway, yes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any of the podcatchers. Or you can look up www.demfancydinosaurs.com. Thanks, guys. Stay fancy and enjoy the rest of the show. Bartek, you can put on your pants again. Zip. <laughs> and now you may put on your pants because Bartek's wearing pants that don't have a zipper. <laughs> <laughs> he chose the, the name of the, the type of pants he is okay, wearing. What kind of sound effect does like, tying a knot do? It's like... Uh, well, you should sing one of those songs that people do when they tie knots. I never learnt a song to tie knots. I just, you could just sing your Polish camp song. I just copied my dad. <laughs> yeah, you could just sing your Polish camp song, whatever that was. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the summer, summer, summer's waiting. <laughs> Same as the forest. The, Same as it ever was. The rivers. That's a Talking Heads reference. Waiting as well. I don't remember. Um, Of course, the movie, we've talked about it, it's done. I mean, there's, we're going to be posting some interesting... We're going to be posting on social media some interesting stuff about that movie, as well as Talking Head stuff. He's got some funny interviews that you'd like, Bartek. Like, David Burns knowing for wearing that big suit. He's got that huge suit. Mm. Um, there's a whole interview in which he's interviewing himself. The interview is himself. Right on. Interviewing him, and he's asking why he's wearing the big suit. He's like, I wanted to appear like I had a small head, and this was the only way I could comprehend doing it. Kind of thing. Well, surely there he realizes he's funny then. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Always being arty. It's kind of hard to tell. It's like, uh, or one of them I love in that interview is he's like, I sing a love song. I rarely write love songs. Um, I because I don't really know much about love or stuff like that. And the love song he's like in in this film, uh, the stop making sense. I'm singing it to a lamp, <laughs> which he does do. I know that the poster for um true stories. It's just him. It's it's him reading newspaper, but it, I whenever I look at it, I struggle to tell whether he's standing in a weird pose or sitting. <laughs> yeah, I know, and it makes it better. Yeah, no, I'm really like some fun David Byrne stuff uh, along the week. One of my favorite stories is uh, him and fellow musician and well-known music producer Brian Eno were mugged in New York, and Brian Eno was like, "David Byrne's an odd man because we were getting mugged." They dragged him into the bushes and they were going to beat him up. And David Byrne's only reaction to being mugged brutally was going, 
Uh-oh. <laughs> so that's what I mean when I say I'm not sure if he knows how funny he is in this. Because in right. real life, he does shit like that. And we go, that would be hilarious. Um, so the next movie we're doing is a listening people's choice. Mm. Exactly, Vartek. Yes. Mm, indeed. And we have luckily been given quite a few suggestions of listening people's choice. Even throughout the week, Vartek, we've got a couple more. Oh, I haven't seen I've been any emailed one or two more and, tw- and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we've got a great little balance of, of things. One of the ones I'm going to... The one we're going to be doing next week, I don't think you've seen. We got, we got messaged over from a fellow podcast. Yes. To, they were like, could you cover this? Uh, it's a 2017 movie called. It's on Netflix, I do believe, called War Machine, which is a movie starring Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. It's about the U.S. Army. I don't know much. I, I think I the only thing I think I know is it's a comedy. It's on Netflix. Brad Pitt, and it's made by the guy who did Animal Kingdom. So the Australian film. Yeah. Okay. So. That's all I know. The uh, the Contrarians podcast, uh, they suggested this to us. Uh, we played one of their promos, uh, their promo in our first episode, but they're definitely worth checking out, of course. Thank you for that suggestion. Uh, we also, like I said before, if you've got some suggestions for us, hit us up on the social media or, uh, or our email. Those are in the description. I've already said them. Uh, of course, rate us and rank us and let us know if we've shredded, shredded, uh, shredded your favorite movie to pieces and still give us five stars on whatever podcast platforming site or dating app because I said rank us. <laughs> um, Which hosts better? Swipe right for me. The one that had plenty to say or Bartek. <laughs> <laughs> That's every episode. So, Bartek, we're doing War Machine, so you better write that down. I'm going to talk so much next episode. About War Machine? About War Machine. About Brad Pitt? About Brad Pitt. So, Bartek, thank you for joining me, and me, thank you for joining Bartek in this celebration of specialness. Uh, until next time, listening people... Remember that sometimes it's better to forget things because once you forget things, you can notice the small details again. That was actually really, before I actually end this episode, that was a beautiful monologue he gave at the end there when he's talking about, like, you know, I like to, like, I notice all the small details when I go to a new environment, but once I get accustomed to it, I forget those little things and I don't appreciate them. And that's why I like to leave and forget these things. So when I come back, I can appreciate them. Just like you listening people. I like to forget you until I start recording. And then when I do, I'm like, oh, those beautiful bastards. Mm. That is true. That's actually, yeah, that's a really good line. It's like when um, when you've thought about something for so long and then you get an outsider's perspective and it's something mm. like completely out of the realm of your thinking and it's like a fresh perspective. Exactly yeah. that. And also just the physical thing. It's like, Bartek, if you went on holidays for a couple of months in Poland, came back to your room again, you'd be noticing all the little things again. Mm. Like the little frogs that you got everywhere. It's like yeah. when I went to your room, Bartek has a lot of frogs, things, frog-related material in his room. I was just, like, pointing out all of these frog-related things, and you were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do have a lot of frog things. Like, you've just kind of forgotten about it. Mm, yes, that's true. So until next time, listening people, do remember to forget us, so that way when we appear again in your RSS feed, you you can appreciate the details of our podcast. <laughs> and if you don't remember us, then, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs>